0: What does it take to rewild one of the largest watersheds in the world, representing one-third of the United States? A lot of high-energy program design and management designed to go viral across the vast landscape to inspire rewilding action on the ground. Listen in as I touch base with Kelly Borgman about the Heartland Rewilding Program's challenges and achievements to date, and learn how you can get involved in connectivity and recovery work in the Mississippi River watershed. You're listening to the Rewilding Earth Podcast. If you love the work that the Rewilding Institute is doing, please consider donating at rewilding.org. And be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter while you're there. Kelly Borgman is back today, a little over a year since she visited with us on the podcast. Everything was just getting started with Heartland Rewilding back then, and Kelly was beginning the process of setting up shop in Des Moines, Iowa, ground zero of ground zero for rewilding in the Midwest's Upper Mississippi River watershed. In this episode, Kelly talks about her organizing philosophy, hopeful action, and finding balance as a contemporary programs and outreach coordinator. There's solid advice here for aspiring conservation program managers who are willing to follow less traditional paths to their goals. Also in this episode, get caught up on everything that's happening with the newest rewilding project on the continent. You won't believe how fast things have picked up with Kelly's leadership. Can you believe it's been a year since you were first on this and you were first at Heartland Rewilding and everything was just getting started and shiny and new?
1: Yeah, I can't even believe how far we've come. From hiring me and thinking through what this initiative could be to, to where we are now, which is fully launched with our own websites, socials, following, doing great work, launching programs. It's been quite a journey.
0: What's transpired over the last year in the Heartland Rewilding?
1: It is a lot. When I was first brought on, the title was Coexistence Coordinator, which was an abstract way of saying anything and everything. Over the last year, I have really transformed this position into the programs and outreach manager to better encompass just the scale of this level of work. And so whenever anybody asks me, what is Heartland Rewilding? What do you do? What are you doing? I always start by saying, uh, we are a conservation initiative that is focused on the Midwest and the wider Mississippi River watershed we do a little bit of everything in that sphere from working with landowners and land conservation partners to advocating for our wild neighbors and wildlife at the state and federal level it's a really bold initiative in one of the areas that has been most impacted i think in terms of land con- conversion uh, and population depletion for our wildlife but this is also an area that we're called the heartland. We've got a lot of heart. And I say that as a proud Midwesterner. And we, we yeah. are in an area that we can make the most impact, the most gains. And that, that kind of is what keeps me going and keeps me inspired um, because there are just so many opportunities, which is probably why when you hear me list all of the different things I'm working on, the list seems endless, is because there's endless opportunities. And being a young initiative, With some pretty powerful backing, we're able to capitalize on those opportunities. And we're at a stage right now where we can really start putting some feelers out and trying to go a couple different directions until we figure out what our true path is. And we don't want to step on toes. So we're always pivoting and thinking and being flexible and nimble. And that's one of the great things about working at a new initiative like this.
0: And I was wondering about the reception. I've heard you tell stories about meeting people and making new friends. Uh, What's the energy like when they find out what you're doing and what you're talking about in their area?
1: One of the things at Heartland Rewilding that we like to talk about is that rewilding is this scale or spectrum, and it can also be a journey. And so finding the first step on your rewilding journey is really important. For some of my neighbors, that is coming over to me when I'm planting my native plants in my garden and asking me what the beautiful plants I'm planting are or how they're going to attract pollinators, and then go in and swapping seeds and planting those plants in their own backyard. For some of the people I'm talking with, they're already on their own rewilding journey. They're working with organizations that are protecting land or are doing a lot of outreach work with farmers to do regenerative agriculture or thinking about conservation practices that we can put on their land. For others, they're already advocates. They're already out there wanting to protect coyotes and seeing the mountain lions that come travel through our state be protected, or the black bears and the wolves. So there's always been rewilders here. I think what's so great about heartland Rewilding is that we can use that term. Um, as it was originally coined and as it has become and is understood by all the people in this world and apply that here in Iowa and give those people who have already taken the steps on this journey a place to call home and gather them together and start making an impact on that scale.
0: One of the reasons that people who were already on the ground doing really good conservation work wanted this work to be going on there is because everybody felt overlooked mm-hmm. over country. That's always a joke to the people who don't live in flyover country. It's not mm-hmm. very fun for us to listen to all the time. Oh, yeah, that's just nothing land. It doesn't have mountains. It doesn't have giant, enormous this or that wilderness. So why bother? And I think that's why it ended up this way, right?
1: Yeah. And people do say stuff like that. I say we aren't flyover country. How many birds migrate (laughs) through this region we have some of the best stopover habitat and you want to look for mountains go check out the ozarks those are the mountains of the midwest i I challenge you to find some of the more beautiful vista than standing at the top of those mountains and looking at the fog covering the valleys and the sun rising up it's gorgeous or spend a day in the less Hills, just laying amongst the beautiful flowers and grasses and the hum of the bees and the butterflies and all the birds chirping and a fox creeping through. Or go laying up, looking up at the treetops and some of the beautiful forests. There's gorgeous places here. There's lakes to swim. There's rivers to fish in. There's gorgeous land here. Unfortunately, some of it has been converted to feed our nation. And... The way it was historically done was to try and feed so many. We've come a long way since then. And so using new technology, using some old technology and and finding ways to, to feed everyone, to keep our economy going, but to also make room for nature and thinking of our land as an ecosystem, thinking of our homes and our farms as ecosystems and how we are a part of that is so important and a message that I try to share every day.
0: You have come to a big inflection point for this new program. What's that all about?
1: Yeah, so we're calling it Connect the Heartland. Because as we were going through our first six months, so we launched Heartland Rewilding officially as a public initiative in September of last year, World Rivers Day, which we thought was appropriate given the Mississippi River watershed. We're thinking about what's been going on. What are some themes that we're seeing creep up? And connections and connectivity are really important. And so we wanted to capitalize on that by naming our campaign after it. So Connect the Heartland really wants people to start thinking about not just what connects us to nature, because that is so important. And sharing that, if there is one thing that I can tell everybody listening to this podcast right now to go and do that will make a huge difference, it's going and telling people what connects you to nature. Because sharing our personal stories and sharing what we find so valuable and impactful and meaningful in nature inspire others to find their own connection or to share that in return. And that builds a network of compassion and caring and respect that is just so important for this movement. So we really want to explore that idea. But also, connections in nature are important. And that's a key cornerstone of what we're trying to do at Hartley and Rewildy we envision our three vocal regions the less hills the driftless and the ozarks and we envision not just as core habitat areas core wilderness areas which we hope to get them to in the coming decades but also as key connectivity nodes so if we can envision and we've seen it through mapping and we're going to be working with tri and you guys there to build these maps to really look at how can we connect these regions how can we connect the driftless to the Superior, Superior Forest area and the Boundary Waters and larger Canada. How can we take that Missouri River corridor that's coming out of Montana and coming down through the Lost Hills and that flyaway and hooking across the state of Missouri and hooking into the Ozarks, which is also connected to the forest in Illinois and Indiana. There's all these connectivity pathways that are going through this watershed. And so we wanted to highlight those as well through the campaign and then just highlight the connections between everything. Again, we're all living as part of Earth's ecosystem. We're all connected in some way, or way, shape, or form to the Earth, to each other, to all life here on our planet. And and so we really wanted to build this campaign around that idea. Um, So we launched the campaign officially in March, and we've been doing a lot of cool stuff around it. We've been doing some in-person events. So I had a trivia night here in Des Moines. We had a fun turnout and a great night meeting new people and answering some pretty tough trivia questions and just having a great time. We've also got right now ongoing a webinar series that's really fun. So last week we had our first webinar. Some wonderful folks up at Superior Bioconservancy. They're some of the original beaver believers. They joined us to talk about some of the ultimate rewilders, which are beavers, our ecosystem engineers, and how beavers can improve hydrology and biodiversity and climate resiliency. And so that was really fun. Next month, we're going to be talking with Will Stolzenberg, the Arthur from Heart of a Lion, and Liz Hilliard from Wildlands Network, and some of the wonderful folks at Mountain Lion Foundation about mountain lions in the Midwest, which is a pretty hot topic right now. We're seeing a lot of dispersing males start coming through the Midwest and taking unusual pathways. So that's going to be a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Again, that's May 25th. Then in June, our friends at Project Coyote are joining us to talk about coyotes and other carnivores in the Midwest. We've got a really cool presentation about bison going on in July. And then we're going to be talking about Wolves in the Great Lakes in August, all as part of this series. If anybody listening wants to sign up for that right now, you can go to heartlandrewilding.org backslash events. I believe right now the, it might be the whole series that is under events, but if not, it's the Beaver one. And if you click on that, you should be able to register for all of the events or webinar series. And then we'll get you on the list when we get those announced. We're also doing all kinds of fun stuff where we've got a peer-to-peer contest going on, challenge, asking people to reach out to their network um, to help raise some money for some of that mapping activity we were talking about, as well as some of our programs, which we officially launched after our first six months. We've got Reconnecting and Rewilding the Heartland, which is a program that's going to focus on our focal regions and our rewilding and land outreach efforts. Some cool stuff that we're going to be announcing this summer, sign up for our E-team or sign up on our socials to follow that story and see that as it's evolving. And then our other program is Coexisting with Wildlife, which focuses on our advocacy work, as well as our coyote-friendly communities, wildlife-friendly communities plants, where we partner with communities, cities, to help them acquire the tools that they need to help their residents coexist with wildlife rather than investing funds in non-lethal methods, which don't work and only increase conflict. So that's where we're at. And as you said earlier, it's a lot. It's a lot going on and it's a lot still to come, but there's a lot of things that connect us and that we want to capitalize and focus on those things.
0: What blows me away by what you just said is that's a fraction of what's going on and has happened by you in the time, the short time that you've been here, your energy, although you have made it clear that at times you've got to protect your energy, <laughs> you have a raging garden outside your house just to get out and get away and have some time to yourself. And I think that's really good for balance and everything. But what you do with that energy just blows my mind. And I thank you very much for it. It, it paints a picture of, uh, I don't know, in some ways it feels like there's more potential than in other places where everybody's traditionally been excited about things. And they've been on National Geographic and David Attenborough's talked about them and everything. And it, I don't know. There's something about this, about your energy and the energy you're describing other people in the region having for connecting, rewilding that is fresh and new and exciting. I don't know how better to explain it.
1: Yeah. And I think that's what gives me a lot of hope. Uh, because as much as we all like to think we are each unique and special, and we all are, it's that I know that there are a hundred more, a thousand more me's out there doing this work every day and bringing the same passion and professionalism and integrity to this work. And so whenever I get a little bit down about the latest climate change report, or I drive past a place that used to be a beautiful prairie or forest, and now I see it's being logged and turned into housing, I have to keep remembering that there are more people out there than just me, make, you know, doing this fight. There have been people like me for decades and hundreds of years fighting this fight, and there's going to be people after me. And the most or the best thing I can do is, like I said, share my connections, grow my connections, share what inspires me and help. You talk about me being young, but there's people coming after me. I've got interns I'm hiring for this summer, and I think every day about how I need to be a good mentor for them. And how I keep them inspired and keep them with a healthy work-life balance so that they don't burn out, so that they keep doing this work. And, you know, how cats multiply, or rabbits multiply. It's like we can multiply the amount of people doing this work and carrying that passion forward to try and really make a difference. And if we all do our best and we all try and we're all caring, we'll get there. We will make a difference. You're listening to the rewilding earth podcast from humble beginnings to global conservation phenomenon. The rewilding movement continues to grow and thrive amid the greatest ecological challenges our planet has faced in 65 million years. Here's how you can join us and help return balance to nature. First, go to rewilding.org and subscribe to the weekly digest to keep up on the latest rewilding news, interviews, and art. Second, consider donating to support the Rewilding Institute's mission to rewild North America and beyond. And for extra credit, please like, subscribe, and share this podcast to help spread the word. Thanks so much for your support.
0: Yeah, it's like the energy for this is a raw material, a raw and innate desire for people to get involved in some way, to do something on any scale, to just feel like they're doing some action instead of reading headlines all the time and seeing really depressing things on social media and and or signing petitions which is nothing wrong with signing petitions but after a while you want to get your hands dirty and I think what's Mm -hmm. happening is it takes energy to refine a raw material into something not raw (laughs) something purposeful or whatever and so it's your energy and the thousand other like you that's required to take that raw enthusiasm molded into campaigns and action and activity on the ground. And uh, without both of those, this doesn't happen.
1: Yeah. And you're using an energy metaphor and a mining metaphor, but those are basically non-renewable energy sources. And I think we have to take care to make sure that this passion, this energy, this enthusiasm... Is a renewable resource that keeps coming forward, and that's why you said, as as you mentioned, I work hard to protect my work-life balance through gardening. I do agility with my dog and go on lots of hikes with friends, Uh, and I lean on those friends and colleagues. I Fran, my colleague who works up in Madison, he's the other full-time heartland rewilding person, and we talk pretty much every day, not just to coordinate work but to support each other. We've got special silly. They're not quite even staff meetings. They're just, we call them water cooler hours, where we can put on funny filters on our Zoom account and just get a laugh and share what's going on in our lives and support each other to try and keep from burning out. And then my wonderful family. Who, my mother is uh, executive director of a small land trust back in Indiana. And everything I know about managing and running an initiative like this, I learned from her. And she's also the first person who inspired me with nature. I grew up with horses and we'd go on trail rides and she'd point out this or that flower or we'd talk about trees and hearing the birds and studying nature. Um, And at the time she was actually a pharmacist, but she's the person that inspired me and inspired my love for nature. And then she and my father and my siblings were so supportive. When I decided to go into wildlife and conservation and nonprofits, which is Traditionally, not a high earning field, and they were a little concerned for that. Uh, but they have supported me emotionally, sometimes financially through this journey so that I could get to this point and stand on their shoulders and stand side by side with my team and make this difference.
0: One of the other things that I think is really cool is the ideas that you and others have come up with. I have a feeling that you're just behind absolutely everything. So, I, but I'll include others in <laughs> case they were, but like. Having trivia nights and having fun meetings and having, I think you did something with a brewery in partnership with a brewery and had some fun. Is that part of the trivia night thing or is that a whole separate?
1: That is upcoming. We are trying to work with local breweries to get some fun, more in-person events going on this summer. We always try to have fun. That's our goal, not just with this campaign, but in everything we do. When we first were really thinking about Heartland Rewilding and what it was going to be, what our goals and vision and what our voice was. At the core of it were two things. One, it needs to be fun because people are willing to listen and talk and engage with you when they're having fun. And two, that we needed to always be inspiring, positive action. Because I feel that of the, so much of the news these days, so many of the organizations these days, they're sharing all of the bad things that are happening. All these species are disappearing. The climate is war- or warming. And those are important messages, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't always inspire positive action. It may have at first because we all wanted to change things around, but when it's ongoing every day for months and years, it wears on you. And all of a sudden you're not feeling inspired, you're feeling defeated. And so when we were thinking about Heartland Rewilding, it was, it needs to be fun and we need to inspire positive action. And so we keep that at the core, When we're thinking strategically, when we're thinking about events and outreach and communications and some of that, a lot of that as the program and outreach manager, I am behind, but I could not conceive of all of this without my team. We do a lot of brainstorming and thought action meetings and all of that. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes to make all of these things happen. And they are a large part of that. And so, yeah, so we always keep those kind of at our core of our discussion. Is this going to be fun? not just for the people attending, but for us as well? And then are we inspiring people to take positive action? And if not, how can we get to that?
0: There's a lot of different directions you go from the Midwest. In fact, every direction, there's a connection. Mm -hmm. But one that I really like is the Superior Bioreserve. And you talked a little bit about that. Um, The idea of, now that thing is really big and people can refer to that episode in the podcast with Bob Boucher And the work that they're doing up there, they've been at it a little longer than you, and they have done some mapping, and it's inspiring. And it's like a little glimpse into the future of what Heartland could look like. Talk a little bit about the work you've been doing with them and the way that you envision that progressing in the future.
1: Yeah, I was aware of Superior Bio, Bob, and his work prior to joining Heartland Rewilding. But we really started this partnership after our end of year appeal this year, which focused on on beavers being those rewilders and being ecosystem engineers and how they have such a profound impact on their system. And then we talked all about some of the other most prominent ecosystem engineers, which are humans and the p- impact we have and how we need to take a little bit of a lesson from the beavers in being a little more balanced in how we impact that that ecosystem. Anyway, so then Bob. Run it. He reached out beginning of this year and was like, "Hey, you guys like beavers? We love beavers. You guys do rewilding. We do rewilding. We need to talk." Uh, so then there goes beavers
0: again. Beavers connecting people. And
1: I know they're amazing. So yeah. So that and it, what's even funny is I live in Beaverdale, so I, I think I'm just predispositioned to love beavers. But we had several long, two hours at a time Zoom conversations about Our organizations are in this initiative and what's going on and how we could partner. And we just have the greatest mutual respect for each other and work on, they've been around longer, but they're actually just recently got their 501c3 nonprofit status. I've been sharing with them a little bit of how we've grown in our first six months as they embark on their first six months through that status and doing a lot more outreach and We just see infinite potential in that partnership and are so excited to be there. But yeah, so Superior Bio focuses on the Superior Eco region. That includes all of the wonderful forests and wetlands and river and floodplains around the northern Great Lakes region, which technically is not part of the Mississippi River watershed. It's its own watershed. But we one still... of one
0: of the few things that aren't a part of the Mississippi watershed. That's really know, weird, actually. Right? That's an out, out outlier.
1: <laughs> yeah. I will say for campaign and simple purposes and simplicity, we consider all of Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan part of our service area. <laughs> uh, but with only two of us, Fran and myself as full-time dedicated staff to the Midwest, that's a huge region. We do not have all the resources, time, and capacity to do all of the work. And so Working with Superior Bio, we're going to be able to share some of the duties. We can uplift a lot of their messaging and voices. They do the same for us and build that connection between our two groups to really grow. And someday we'd like to see us focusing more concretely on building and restoring connectivity pathways between the Superior region uh, and down into the drift lists along the Mississippi River corridor to those forest in southern illinois and into the ozarks and really building that that whole corridor and region out that's end goal there and this partnership and all the partnerships to come will really help us do that
0: what strikes me is that if people have been wondering about these weird headlines when people use the numbers 30 by 30 and 50 by 50 and they even hear biden talking about it or mm-hmm. he did for a minute and <laughs> they don't really have any sense of what that means on the ground. And what's happening here, as you hear Kelly talk, is that (laughs) this is what it means. This is what 30 by 30, 50 by 50, how we reach those goals and how we do it in in an ecologically important way, instead of just trying to have a, a bunch of protected areas disconnected from each other. But on paper, we have 30% or we have 50%, which I know The administration is leaning more toward that because they made the commitment. Now they have to say that they did it and they're going to probably do the bureaucratic thing rather than the ecologically (laughs) important thing and say, we got it, we did it. And this is also a representation of how we're going to make sure that that does not happen, if at all possible. Uh, Real organization is happening, real connection is happening. And this, what you're hearing is what it sounds like on the ground. It's what it sounds like when people are working together to bring to life something that just became a catchphrase very recently, but has been stuff that we've all been working on for decades. If anybody was curious, that's what it sounds like.
1: Yeah. And it sounds like the work I do every day where I talk to people about these, where I talk about that scale and finding your first step onto your rewilding journey, where I go out and I try to meet with landowners and producers and talk about precision agriculture, and talk about conservation practices and regenerative farming, hairy strips, and all these other things. It's what it sounds like when I go and talk to legislators or do tabling at a kid's science fair or at the library. It's inspiring positive action. It's inspiring people to take a look at what connects them to nature and think on what they want their future on this planet to be like, what they want the future for their children or their family or whatever to be like, and helping them see the future that we can have where both humans and wild nature thrive. Not just here in the Midwest, not in the West, not just in the East, but across all North America.
0: I imagine somebody's listening to you right now going, man, she's got a cool job. How do I do that? How do I get into that? And what would you say to that person? Is, and is that part of the future you look at when you say this is spreading around this watershed? and? It's really taking root in a lot of different places. And I can envision a time where maybe the whole watershed is covered with people who have an area to take care of, they organize for, and it really does actually get to covering this in gi- the whole area.
1: Yeah. If there's anybody out there who wants to follow in my career footsteps, the first bit of advice I guess I'd have is don't be afraid to take a job at a weird place or that maybe doesn't quite fit the exact end career you have in mind. Uh, The more and more I talk to people my age or a little older in this field, the more I realize one of the things we have all in common is that we have a nonlinear pathway to this career. I originally thought I was going to be a vet, because when you live in rural Indiana and you happen to like animals, everybody tells you to be a vet. I realized after my first semester or first year at Purdue University, that wasn't the future for me. I then switched majors and then I took a semester off school to really figure out what I wanted to do. And then I actually went and finished up my degree at Ball State University while working three jobs and doing all kinds of stuff to build my experience taking classes like professional writing and entrepreneurship to really just explore and build skills in different areas. I then, I worked those three jobs because I was saving up money and I went and I lived in South Africa as a field researcher and field guide for a while, studying elephants, lions, cheetahs, all of it. I came back to the States and worked for the Fish and Wildlife Service, studying manatees and how people in Crystal River, Florida, one of the only places in the world where you can legally interact with manatees, looking at how people were interacting and using the spaces around the refuge. I then was a cowgirl for the National Park Service up in Montana. I, no joke, lived in a defunct prison for a summer as I rode a horse around and talked to people about the Old West at a small historic site and learned the skills of interpretation. I spent time as a snowboard instructor, a conservation educator, uh, just about all of it. Before finally deciding to go back and get my master's to focus on policy and nonprofit management and natural resources management, because through all of that, I discovered that my love for this field did not lie in strict research. It uh, it inspires me every day to get up and take that research and talk to people about it and to share this message. And I happen to be an extrovert and a people person, typical loud midwest girl very polite but not afraid to talk to the person behind me in line and so that's it what i wanted to do and so if that is you and this is something you want to do go out and explore don't be afraid to take a job at a weird place as long as they're going to give you enough money to live on and maybe a place to sleep no matter how spooky and weird uh go get the experience go have fun i spent my 20s traveling and having crazy adventures. I've got wonderful stories to tell around fires, parties, and it serves me well now that I'm in my 30s um, and I can get a job with benefits and work from home and have a place to to garden and friends to hang out with and enjoy my life this way. Yeah, the more and more I talk to people who are in this field, they've got similar stories. So, yeah, don't be afraid to up.
0: And that, kids, is exactly the process from jump to getting a job like Kelly's. Yes. You might yeah. have to live in a prison. You might get <laughs> to live in South Africa. You and yeah, but I think the point is well taken. You just have to put yourself in the orbit of the things you love and you don't know exactly what's going to pop up. It was the same trajectory for me. I had no idea I'd end up doing what I did, how I did it. And it was all you look at. It, it just seems like just happenstance. but. It was really just always putting myself in the orbit of the places and the people I wanted to be around and the things I wanted to do. And everything else just shakes out. We have mapping coming up. You're working on a lot of different kind of angles with the mapping project. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Previous mapping that was done prior to this initiative that lent to this in Heartland Rewilding initiative had identified those three focal regions we keep talking about, the Les Hills, the Driftless, and the Ozarks. But now that we're on the ground, now that we're launching that reconnecting and rewilding the Heartland program and developing our toolkits out a little bit, we need to drill down. So where are the lands that in the hills need to be permanently protected? Where are the lands where we can work with landowners to help stop or slow erosion? Or they're in a floodplain and there's different things we can do around agriculture and land use and land design. Landscape design to help them combat some of those problems they're facing to work with nature. Where are those places that we can grow into conservation easements or the vision of having a backpacking trail through the entire Los Hills? And so we need mapping to look at those areas and to help us find them and find who we need to be connecting with and talking to about these issues and doing that, replicating that across our focal regions. There's, as we've been talking throughout this whole podcast, it's finding exactly where those connectivity corridors are that we need to be protecting, that we need to be working on so that species can move through. Because so one of the things with coexistence is a lot of wildlife, like the mountain lions, are coming through where I live here in Des Moines because there are two rivers that come together, the Raccoon River and the Des Moines River, and rivers are some of the last kind of wild areas that traverse the state as it is in many Midwestern states. And so wildlife are using those corridors to move through on their journeys. If we provide them other ways that maybe aren't as heavily populated, those are more attractive to the mountain lions than coming up near or through Des Moines and getting stuck in a a golf course. And so the maps, the mapping work we're going to do is going to show us that kind of scale detail, but they're also going to show us North America and this heartland area and all the air regions it connects to and how those connectivity pathways work. So when we're talking with partners, when we're talking with people at the national scale about this work, we can show them um, our grand vision. We can show them how this is going to work, that it will work, that it's just gonna take people like you and me and all the others on our team pushing for this work and committing to do this for a number of years and decades.
0: I imagine someone listening to this that's not considering themselves part of the club because they don't live in the region. Is there a way for people to come to heartlandrewilding.org slash events? Are they allowed? Can you welcome them, please, to (laughs) come learn about beavers and come learn about and do those fun events that you're doing and everything? This isn't just the exclusive. This is the world. This is an important place in the whole world to the whole world. So they get to come to your stuff, too, right?
1: Of course. And being a Midwesterner myself, I also know that a lot of Midwesterners leave the area and a lot of people move into the area. So whether you are a Midwesterner at heart or by home or whether you just understand how important this region could be, you know, want to learn how important it can be. Anyone and everyone is so welcome. Again, we're trying to do things that are fun. We're trying to inspire positive action, build connections and relationships and partnerships. We do not want to be an exclusive club. That's why we don't have memberships. That's why the webinars are free. That's why we do all these things, because we are trying to be as inclusive as possible. So we invite anyone, everyone to reach out to us, to start a conversation with us, and to share what inspires them and connects them with nature.
0: We'll have a whole bunch of extra credit links provided by me and mainly Kelly at the bottom of this episode at rewilding.org slash POD. You can find this episode and several other episodes, and they all have great extra credit sections. So if you love what we're talking about, but you're a little hazy on the 30 by 30 stuff or the mapping stuff or whatever, that those resources will be there. Kelly, thank you so much for coming in and checking in with us. It's been a wild year. I still can't believe it's only been a year. So much has been accomplished, and I can't wait. And I know a lot of other people are dying to see what you do next.
1: Yeah, I'm, I am I want to look and see what I do next. Sometimes I wish <laughs> I could look into the future. And then I think, nah, just let it unfold. Enjoy yeah. the rest.
0: <laughs> it's worked really well for you so far, so don't change the formula. <laughs> thanks for being here.
1: Yes, thanks for having me, Jack.
0: Thanks for listening to the Rewilding Earth podcast. We do what we do because of you. This podcast is supported by listeners like you who long to live in a wilder world. Please consider donating at rewilding.org and subscribe to our weekly news and article digest while you're there. To go the extra mile, you can follow and share Rewilding Earth on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Bonus points for sharing this podcast with your friends. To listen to past episodes go to rewilding.org/pod that's rewilding.org/p o d